Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast, your go-to resource for all things real estate and all things St. Pete. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. Hello, and welcome to the Selling St. Pete podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sanchez. Today, I am joined by Margaret Wright with an ounce of prevention. Thank you for joining me. And we're going to be discussing health and wellness. And I've been wanting to do this episode for a long time. And I think it's apropos that we're doing it the week of Thanksgiving, because I am so thankful that our paths crossed in 2015. Um, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Thank you, Nicole. Yes, so much to be thankful for. And doing this before the Christmas season makes it even more meaningful. And keeping with this thought, I named my company an ounce of prevention based on the phrase my grandmother used to remind me about frequently during my young years. The rest of the phrase is worth a pound of cure was what she used to bring some you know, thought to my intentions before I implemented whatever action I was going to go into. She was a wise lady, miss her. Uh, my initial degree was in biology with a minor in biochemistry. Research and teaching didn't have a particular appeal to me since that would put me uh, less in a personally interactive position. Mm -hmm. So I went back to get a second bachelor's degree, this time in nursing. I enjoyed that for some 10 years, even becoming uh, critical care certified. When the profession seemed to be taking a turn, which lessened the personalization of my patients and required me to do more box checking and less thought about the person. Mm -hmm. The final decision um, to change was forced at about the same time by a personal health challenge. And when the best in the field insisted that I follow the standard treatment protocol, I balked. Mm. If I took nothing away from biology and biochemistry, I certainly understood that each person is an individual and deserves a personal look. So I had to get out of nursing for my self-preservation. Yeah. Um, I spent a total of 20 years in nursing with the last five years transitioning with a start of going back to school for a master's in natural health with a focus on nutrition. I'm also a certified natural health professional. I started my business doing nutrition consultations in May of 1999. I love it. And despite the many years, I love my work and I value the interaction I have with my clients. That's awesome. And I, I can relate to that. You know, I wanted to talk to you about health and wellness because you've been an integral part of my journey. Um, when we met in 2015, I was really struggling, probably at my worst um, from a health perspective. I had been diagnosed with narcolepsy maybe three or four years prior to that. And like you, my neurologist wanted to prescribe to me Zyrum. I was told at the time that that was the only FDA approved drug for narcolepsy. And when I was doing my due diligence and my research, I learned that the active ingredient in Zyrum is Rohypnol, which is also known as the date rape drug. 
And I was living in a high rise in Chicago by myself. And my neurologist said that I really should have a neighbor with a key because if the fire alarm was pulled in the middle of the night, chances are I would not have, I would be incapacitated and not be able to get myself out. And as a, a single woman, you know, in her early thirties, I didn't feel comfortable going to a neighbor to say, you know, hey, here's a key to my place in case there's an emergency because I take a drug that incapacitates me every evening. That just didn't seem like a wise decision. So I was searching for alternatives to seek out. And one of the things that I think I maybe have saw a commercial that talked about food sensitivities and things that, you know, were popping up if things weren't working from a chemical perspective with food that you were eating. And that led me to the clinic where we met. And I remember that um, when we went over that intake and, you know, you said, I don't think this is a food sensitivity issue. I think this might be something else. And we can determine that in a simple blood test, and that's going to be far more cost-effective, you know, so let's try that route first. And then, you know, if that doesn't work, we can always do food sensitivity testing later. And so I appreciate you saving me seven or $800, <laughs> but also, do you remember what it was that gave you that hunch in our initial consult that it wasn't the food sensitivity, but it was rather um, a gene variant? Well, I do recall some of that. And my interaction with clients, by the way, has not substantially changed over the years. If I have a specific talent, I believe it's that somehow my mind is able to take seemingly unrelated events and situations and find that there's a common thread which leads to a major upstream cause. You might recall that many of the questions I asked you about likely did not seem related to the problem that you brought to the table. And I think my years of working in the usual medical paradigm for seeing the box that the doctor frequently wants to define so that the you know, patient is given a medical diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Any symptom that's outside of the diagnosis box is usually disregarded as a presenting problem, or you put it in another box with a different diagnosis. Mm -hmm. With my personal health challenge now 30 years ago, neither I nor my physicians could determine or explain why I should have developed that condition, which mm -hmm. by the way was breast cancer mm -hmm. at age 40. <laughs> um, I had no family history. I ate well, according to medical definition then and even currently. Um, I exercised, I did all the right things but there was the condition and the diagnosis. That personal challenge led me to a more intensive investigation as to the possible upstream causes, which ultimately I understood, thank you biology and biochem background, to be that my genetic profile didn't match up with the expected outcome. Therefore, that very genetic variations needed to be translated into a different pathway than what was expected normal patterns. About 10 years ago, a lot of research was going into the human genome 
-hmm. and the implications of individual variations. Medicine likes to make everybody go down the same pathway. And we don't, do we? It's... So I discovered that a very basic process, methylation, was responsible for literally hundreds, and now I believe thousands of actions in our body. Everything, wow. literally from head to toe. Because we're individuals, it doesn't mean that each of us will react or process in exactly the same way. And this okay. is precisely where methylation plays a huge role. The single process of methylation has been shortened into MTHFR. And that's what I saw after our first meeting as being the basis of your various physical and mental diagnoses, some of which I seem to recall were simply not being addressed by any of your prescribing physicians. Right. MTHFR as a personal genetic variation in the cold was not going according to textbook. No. And, mm -hmm. and that's something that I've learned over the last seven years is that you can change the expression of a gene. You don't Absolutely. change the gene itself, but you can change how it's expressing itself, turning it, turning a system on or off and, yeah. um, or taking it in a form that your body can use versus exactly our, our genes are like they, they need on and off switches mm -hmm. most of them do anyway and these little switches are nutrients yeah <laughs> or if you want to get into chemistry they're just big molecules you yeah. know so you know um we just needed to find and help your body to work through your personal methylation genetics this and it was, was like lighting a switch. Yes. And when I started, when I found what I needed, it was like night and day. Um, so can we take a step back? What is MTHFR? Okay. MTHFR is short for methyl tetrahydrofolate. This is a specific reaction in which a methyl group, which is composed of one carbon and three hydrogens, is attached to usually a protein structure. Okay. And that enables the body to properly utilize that protein. It referred originally to just two genes, each of which the possible variants that control the various methylation processes in the body. We now know that several other genes feed into this methylation cycle and need to be viewed in unison. They don't work just independently of each other. And so, so if they all work together is how we work with them to optimize our body's process. Originally, medicine said, and some still say that, oh, we don't need to focus much on that at all. It only occurs in a few people. And as more and more people come to recognize that they have MTHFR genes and perhaps some others like COMT and the MAO interacting with the two MTHFR genes, we find that some 45 to 48% of the population have variants of those two MTHFR genes. And these variants are not the prescribed pathway that medicine expects. And I'll just say one other thing here. You notice I'm using the word variant. Mm -hmm. Medicine likes to call them mutations. Right. If 25-plus percent of the population have it on a little different 
structure. This is not a mutation. It's just a variation. Right. Blue eyes, gray eyes, variation. So for me, it was showing up as brain fog, you know, not being able to think clearly. I, I literally thought I might be um, developing early onset dementia because I couldn't remember where I would park my car when I would go to work. Um, I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't stay asleep through the night and then thus had a very hard time staying alert throughout the day. Um, looking back, I was inflamed, you know, after I started um, down the pathway of making some of the recommendations that you made in a very short time, I noticed a huge difference in a before and after picture. Mm -hmm. And um, so can you talk a little bit about what methylation is and why it's important or how it impacts a person when they're not methylating at optimal mm -hmm. levels? Sure. According to medical definition, methylation is a chemical reaction in which the body, in a chemical reaction in the body in which a small molecule called a methyl group gets added to DNA, to proteins, and to other molecules. The addition of methyl groups can affect how some molecules act in the body. For example, methylation of the DNA sequence of a gene may turn the gene off so it does not make a protein. Changes in methylation patterns of genes or proteins can affect a person's risk of developing a disease, such as cancer. If you look at a more alternative definition, or more strictly, a biological definition from a functional medicine doctor, methylation is a simple yet vitally important biochemical process in the body that is widespread and helps regulate the activity of our cardiovascular, neurological, reproductive, and detox systems. And that's just to name the big ones. Methylation takes place approximately 1 billion times per second wow. and affects nearly every essential process in the body. How can this process be overlooked as a factor in everybody's daily function? Right. And I think you gave me a, a diagram that I can bring up um, just to show a little bit about what that map looks like. And um, right. I recognize some of these um, words, glutathione, tryptophan, arginine. You know, those, so, those just didn't appear on some diagram somewhere. These are actual things that the body makes through processes that are defined by our genes and how we use materials to process through the whole thing. I see. So the blue does that indicate something where variations are or? Yes, it, it does. When, when I can see, you know, outcomes and I'll ask for certain lab tests and I'll say, well, you know, that points to this and then where is it connected elsewhere? But basically, if you don't methylate at optimal levels, then your body is unable to process and regulate the production and use of messages being sent to at least four major biological processes in the body, literally your cardiovascular, neurological, hormonal, and detox systems. 
well, heck, knock any one of those off the plate and you're non-functioning. <laughs> I can, um, I can attest to that because I was seeing issues in all and, of those areas. Right. So if even one of the pathways is operating at a 40% capacity, which is if you just get one little hit from one of your parents, I can pretty much guarantee that you're going to feel the effects of the deficiency. And sometimes it creeps up slowly because the body has like compensating mechanisms that it tries and tries. And then finally just says, I've done, I can't do it anymore. And then other times it's a slap upside the head. All of a sudden you wake up and there you are in a not the same position. Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like it did. Well, I think part of it, I have been seeing signs for a long time. You know, I had at least 12 years documented that I was showing low vitamin D levels. And mm -hmm. I know that th that plays into hormones and, and immune and a lot of, you know. Nicole, let me tell you, back when I was 40 years old and I'm 71 now, and I got that diagnosis, I had to search for a physician who would even order a vitamin D test. Mm -hmm. And now they pretty much know that vitamin D at low levels is implicated in pick a cancer, anyone, everyone, plus a whole bunch of other stuff. Now I was active. I was playing competitive tennis at the time, which means I was on the practice court at least three hours a day and matches on weekends. My, I tan easily. I was dark. Mm -hmm. And what do, you, what do you need a vitamin D level for? Well, right. I got one. I paid for it out of pocket. My vitamin D level was 18, which even by medical standards is abysmally low. Right. And it's like, well, how is that? Well, we didn't know until I had my genes tested and the VDR, vitamin D receptor. I, I could literally stand naked in the parking lot at noon to 2 p.m. every single day and not make enough vitamin D. Right. Well, and now they're saying that people with darker skin have more challenges getting the vitamin D into their right. body from sunshine. Right. And that, you know, so that leads me to what role do supplements play? I, I can speak personally, <laughs> like flipping on a switch and, you know, I, I'm not on any medication anymore, thankfully. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but can you talk about that and, and why they play such a critical role? Sure. I, and this is exactly the reason why I believe that regular medicine wants to disregard MTHFR and methylation in general. So to methylate fully, the body simply requires three complex molecules to accomplish the job. That shouldn't be a, you know issue, but it mm -hmm. is because those three are known as vitamins. Vitamins are not prescription items unless they've been modified in a lab to make them seem like they're just like the naturally occurring thing. Follow the money. The script makes income for the drug company who promotes the product to the physician as a fix for the basic MTHFR issues that the body, you know, it just needs to get the three vitamins in their fully methylated form, which you get from real food. And those vitamins are B6, but it has to be in the form of pyridoxal 5-phosphate, not pyridoxine hydrochloride, B12, 
needs to be methylcobalamin and certain other pathways require a further methylation into adenosylin hydroxy, but you still got to start with a methylcobalamin, not the cyanocobalamin, which is the cheap version. And cyanocobalamin, the cobalamin parts, the B12, I'll leave it up to you to figure out what the cyano part is. And folate, which is the namesake of these original genes, needs to be as 5-methyltetrahydrofolate. Folic acid is synthetic. There is no folic acid in real food. So if you eat real food, then these methylated forms are what you get. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, since the late 1960s, when specific vitamins were found to play a specific role in the various biologic pathways, and it was determined that various reasons like food processing and soil depletion, for example, our foods were deficient in these items, then the government decided that these certain vitamins had to be added to processed foods to prevent disease states. So commercially, the food industry went right along with this and started adding vitamin supplements to foods. And the fortified foods was advertised as promoting a more healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, the vast majority of food products, and until very recently, all of them added the vitamins that the government stipulated. The discrepancy occurred because of two things. One, the government didn't clearly stipulate the form of those vitamin additions. And two, the manufacturers looked for the cheapest way to add these supplements. And those are not the methylated forms. So we're now at a point where we don't get enough um, of the basic nutrients from foods. And those that we do get um, are in the wrong form for almost half the population. Add to that the trend of many people to turn to vegetarian or vegan dietary lifestyles yeah. and to exclude red meat. Um, if you need the fully methylated form of B12, supplementation is required since all methylated B12 comes only from animal foods, most prominently and easily red meat. Hmm. There are a few good supplement manufacturers and they produce the correct methylated forms of these basic vitamin supplements. But you gotta look and you gotta find them because these are not the ones that you're going to get recommended in a physician's office. I will say, I do work with a handful of physicians who do carry high quality supplements into their practice. And yeah. I actually, um, when I found this company and I learned that they have a division that specializes in aligning with licensed healthcare professionals for that exact reason, I got certified to do that because I'm passionate about getting these products in as many health professionals' hands that I can because I personally have seen the transformation in my own life. Yeah, I mean, I'll show you more passion from a lot more people. <laughs> I, I will show you a picture before and after. And to me, these products were like putting fertilizer on me. You can see in, you know, on wow. this side, my before, how much inflammation I was carrying. And then on the left side, no inflammation. My skin is much clearer. And I didn't do any 
exercise, any additional exercising. I didn't change my diet. It was just, I was getting high quality nutrients and my body was functioning more optimally because it was getting the nutrients it needed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So in addition to methylated supplements, what are some other recommendations um, people, if, so let's say someone hasn't had an, an, a test for MTHFR, mm -hmm. but they suspect that they might have either of those variants or the COMT or MAO, what are some things that they may experience that would lead them to ask if they could be tested for it? Well, doctors are always looking for a reason to form a diagnosis code. If you look at your family history, you're not the only one experiencing these things. Mm -hmm. So you tell the doctor that you've got this stuff going on and specifically ask for an MTHFR blood test. They'll do that at Quest and LabCorp and generating that diagnosis code is usually pretty easy. Okay. Um, they also recently started testing the COMT. Okay. To get other genetic testing, you have to go outside of Question Lab Core sure. because it's just not recognized. Mm -hmm. There are several avenues, some of which are a little more cost effective, but just knowing your MTHFR and COMT status could make vast changes when you're working with somebody who knows about the connections and how to manipulate them. Because they're, you know, they're 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 two um variants of mthfr and their possibilities so you end up with about 16 possibilities and then you throw comt in there and there are different comt variants within themselves so it's it's a puzzle that you need to put together that is a picture of you and not some diagram somewhere but i use those diagrams to trace back to see where deficiencies come in yeah, and people are are more likely to find a healthcare professional that is knowledgeable in that area when they seek out people in functional medicine. Is that a fair statement to make? That's a fair statement, yes. And um, you know, it, functional medicine has become like a catch term, mm -hmm. so you kind of have to ask a few more questions to make sure. sure that they actually walk the talk. What are a couple of those questions that you should ask? Well, you know, if, if the functional medicine physician is um, MTHFR, you know, it's not a big, well, there's, there's a clue. Mm -hmm. If they don't think that looking at liver functions are important, there's another clue. If they don't think that hormones, and as women, we change every day, if they don't think that hormonal patterns are indicative of other events that go on in our lives from neurological to cardiovascular to detox functions, you're not having a conversation with the, with the right person. Right. And if the doctor only orders strictly off of Quest LabCorp, just run. Because... <laughs> yeah. They're, they're not using all the tools that they could. Okay. Well, and, you know, we'll, we'll go 
another thing that I've learned along the way, the role of neurotransmitters and that the, our digestive system in general plays a critical role in our overall, overall health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And, you know, neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, adrenaline, that those are produced in our gut. And, but our bot, my, my aha moment was that it's not that our body creates them. It's that it converts the nutrients from the food that we eat into them. Correct. So if you aren't eating a diet that is rich in tryptophan or other building blocks that are converted into those neurotransmitters, it's no surprise that you don't have a lot of those neurotransmitters that are regulating your mood or, you know, running a lot of major systems in your body. Right. And that was the biggest thing. It was like, I, I, I guess I knew intuitively that food was, you know, the healthier we eat, the better we're going to feel, but I never knew the why. And once I learned that it made, you know, a lot of sense. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think that it's kind of an aha moment, even for some regular physicians at this point, because I'm sure everybody's been hearing more and more about our gut biome or microbiome. And let's put it this way, the average adult should have between three and four and a half pounds, yes, pounds of good bacteria in our intestines. That's what it should be, literally hundreds of different species of bugs in our intestines. These are good bugs. The other name for them is probiotics. Not only do they help to produce our neurotransmitters, 80% of serotonin, (laughs) but they convert other digested food into the usable for the body products. Mm -hmm. Um, These good bacteria get killed off by antibiotics, by steroids and other medications and other so-called normal additives. If the animal was fed antibiotics or had other toxins incidentally in their food, then we get a dose of it as well. So eating clean helps us to get and stay healthy by control of our gut bacteria. Also, we used to eat foods that were fermented. The process of fermentation produces probiotics, which we get when we eat real fermented foods. It's difficult to find truly fermented foods these days. Uh, Pickles or pickling is not the same thing, although the taste might be the same or very similar. Mm -hmm. If you see vinegar on the ingredient list of a so-called fermented food, put it right back on the shelf and walk away. It's pickled, it's not fermented. And to give you an idea, a simple thing like cream cheese, Mm used to be a fermented food Hmm. when grandma got it. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. You can't find it anywhere. So we also know that hormonal changes or excess hormones in the diet or hormones that are not efficiently broken down in the less than optimal methylation process. And this is of course more women 
the result is a disruption of the gut biome. So this is just another way that optimal methylation affects the entire body and how things get processed. And I, I, just as an aside here, in my 20 years of doing nutrition consults, I have never had a client come to me with a diagnosis of any cancer who did not have what they would call candida or a disruption of the microbiome. Never mm. had it. Interesting. <laughs> so again, stressing the importance of gut health. Gut health, right. Well, and, and leaky gut syndrome, you know, and the, and the increase in autoimmune and how because these proteins are getting into the blood and the body doesn't recognize them and then turns on itself to yep. attack these proteins. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all part of the, you know, we just need to get back to basics mm -hmm. and uh, you get to choose, of course. And um, to me, it just is easier to give your body what it needs, let it do its thing so that I can do the rest of my thing. <laughs> right. Well, and I know someone, um, a health professional who says, if, you know, you must focus on your wellness or make time for your wellness, because if you don't, you'll have to, you'll be forced to make time for your illness. And so I, I think of that when I'm making choices about what I'm putting in my body or, you know, topically on my body. Yes. Um, but I, again, thank you so much for all of the guidance that you've given me over the last seven plus years. And um, if someone wants to schedule a consult with you, um, how would they go about doing that? Well, I, and by the way, I thank you very much for allowing me to participate in your journey. Oh. Um, I like, you know, for, for getting in touch with me, I like a quick, a quick phone call. I offer free 10 minute consultations. And I do this because I think that it's very important that we can work together, mm -hmm. you know, client and the consult. I ask some questions that indicate to me how important it is that my potential new client really wants to make changes. I don't make appointments for a person who's not actually making the call, except if I'm working with anyone under the age of 16. And if they're under the age of 10, I don't need to talk to them first. I <laughs> want to talk to the parents. Yeah. plural first. Um, I consider my consultations to be educational. I want my clients to understand which processes are not working for them. And then I teach them the steps needed to get those processes working better. I can't do the work for my clients, but I'm there to hold their hands and give them whatever support I can. Um, so my cell phone number 410-923-7443. Yes, I live in Florida, but I've had that number since I started my business. So keep yeah. it going. And my email kind of goes back to my website. It's margaret at oneounce.com. Don't spell it out, just the numeral one. Um, my website's up. I had to make some changes recently. Um, and it's not exactly how I want it right now, but it's getting there. Yeah. So I will make sure that all of that information is in the show notes um, so that people can get in touch with you. And again, thank you so much for joining me and happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. And if you have a show topic, 
that you'd like to share with me or have a real estate related question that you'd like to ask, I'd love to hear it. You can reach me by phone at 719-201-5022 or via email at Nicole at sellingstpetefl.com. That's N-I-C-O-L-E at S-E-L-L-I-N-G-S-T-P-E-T-E-F-L dot com.